In this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by DJ, producer, content creator, and podcaster Lorenzo DJ Lozo Flores. Man, this is a great episode, man. Lorenzo and I have actually known each other for quite a few years now, man. We were actually on a panel together at Full Sail University, which is my alma mater. And so I just knew I wanted to get him on the pod because he showed me a lot of love regards my content and kind of what I share and what I give to indie creative so I just wanted to have a great conversation because he has a great music background uh, so uh, we talked a lot about him being from Detroit Michigan and and him growing up with a very eclectic background as far as music wise and what his parents and, and listened to which ultimately played a role into that what he got into hip hop later on uh, you know we talked about him learning how to DJ when he was a freshman in college at Western Michigan University and then ultimately leading him to college radio where he was became a college rep for record labels like Def Jam and Rough House and 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 Double XL magazine and um and how that transitioned into uh, him producing to we would produce for independent artists as well as has their music placements with Comedy Central, Fox, HBO, and then, you know, as a, him as a podcaster, uh, where he's had the Life of Lozo podcast, which then spun off a tour, a podcast about leadership called Hacking Your Leadership, because people wanted to hear how he, how he views leadership, because he's an expert on leadership, and as well as he is a, uh, Author, because he's a crime novel, because he's work, he created a, a graphic novel called Crime, that was racing about um, hip hop lyrics that was based around crime scenes and how uh, a detective would view those crime scenes if he was uh, checking out those lyrics. So, guys, hope you guys enjoyed this episode, uh, and it really was a great one, guys. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, episode number 54. And I got my guy with me here, uh, Lorenzo DJ Lozo Flores. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good, fam. I'm doing good, brother. You know what I'm saying? Another day, another dollar. Staying busy, man. <laughs> yeah, man. That's what's up, man. I remember we had got connected because we did a panel with Israel. And yeah. uh, it was me, you, and a uh, Another guy, I can't, yeah, that he brought you on, right? The guy, yeah, that yeah, was, Vic, Vic from Brand Grooms, yep, yeah, Vic, yeah, 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 that was cool, man. And, and yeah, man, we were with the, yeah, we that was, a, that was a fun time, that was a couple years ago, yeah, man, it was before probably, the pandemic, yeah, way before the pandemic, yeah, it's like so you probably talking about probably, probably 2018, 19, yeah, exactly. Wow, it's been that long, oh, yeah, God. man, <laughs> wow, that's crazy, bro, how time flies, man, yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, man. So, well, uh, so where are you where are you originally from? So, I, I grew up in Michigan. So, I'm I'm a Detroit kid. Uh, okay. But I and I grew up there, and then I moved out uh, to LA. I was in LA for five years, and then I was in Georgia for a couple of years. And now I've been in Florida since 2017. 
no, okay. no, 20, 2007. Not 2007. 2007? Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, but raised in Orlando. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I lived there for seven. People say they still they still hear my accent. Oh, I can hear it. I can hear it clear as day, man. You yeah, that Brooklyn yeah, too. Nah, nah, man. That's in there. That's family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh so, yeah, I've been, I've been uh been in Orlando, man. I'm a I'm a Florida boy, man. I've been here over half my life. So you know, I'm a native New Yorker. I'm definitely a Florida boy for sure. Nice. For sure, man. For sure. So I always like to ask the question of what's your earliest memories of music, man? Like, like what do you what, what do you remember? Oof, you know, it was probably, I mean, I was real young. Uh, like I remember my mom and she, she was, a uh, she had me, she had me when she was 17 and my sister when she was 19. And then she ended up being like a single mom shortly after that. And, uh, I remember just being a small, small kid, um, listening to the radio outside on the porch, like riding around on my big wheel. Like my mom was always listening to music and, and it was, you know, I grew up in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in the eighties and in the nineties and stuff. So as a small kid, it was, it was the early eighties. So it was a lot of, uh, you know, it, it was elements of like, you know, funk and rock and classic rock at the time it was, it was current rock. Now we call it classic rock. Um, but she, she always listened to music, always seemed always to have something on. So I remember like very early on, just, having a love for music and always having music on no matter what we were doing. And that just kind of grew into my, my older age. My mom would listen to, to Phil Collins and Genesis while she was cleaning the house. And then my stepdad got into, he, he, he was a Vietnam vet and he listened to all types of music. Um, everything from Ravi Shankar sitar to Metallica to Bob Marley. Um, and then, you know, growing up in the eighties in the late eighties and nineties, then I got into hip hop. So it's kind of always been in my life. Oh man, that's what's up, man. That's what's up. Talk about an eclectic, uh, eclectic choice of, of, of genres all put together there, man. That's that's what's up, man. Look, I always tell people, you know, I've been working with artists since two thousand five ish. I've been in the industry, been around entertainment since two thousand four primarily, but started working with artists in two thousand five. What did I tell you? I tell people all the time. You cannot live without music. Mm. It is impossible. Anybody that tells you that it's possible, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Nah, it's not. Nah. It is. It, it it people can do without a lot of things in life, but music yeah. and probably film and, and and some of this stuff that that you know we can't do without this stuff, man. We really can't live a balanced life without it, and that's one of the reasons why I love helping artists is because. There's certain people that have a passion to have their stories told and this, the stuff that they create, the message through their music matters so much to them. And I always say that education oftentimes is a missing link for creators today. Mm. That's why I'm so passionate because, man, I'm like, man, if, if, they, if they get the right education, they can actually put together something really special. In today's world where it's much easier, even though the internet has kind of fucked up everything, it's still way easier to get your message out there with outlets we have today than it was 25, 30 years ago. I know, I know in your bio you mentioned you were a college rep for, was it Def Jam? Yeah, Def Jam, Rough House, and Rough then Double uh, XL. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think my mentor, Karen Marie Mason, used to work at Rough House Records. Oh, for real? Marketing, yeah, yeah. She's a, she she recently passed away from from 
um, for breast cancer, but she was a heavyweight in the music business, bro, mm. uh, as an executive. Handpicked by Sylvia Rohn. And if you know yeah. yep. Sylvia Rohn, yeah. So would you have, you know, so yeah, so Karen is my mentor and friend and unfortunately has, has recently passed away to cancer, man, F cancer. Bro. Yeah, man, I'm sorry to hear that, bro. Well, yeah, um, yeah, so that's cool, man. Tell me about, tell me about those days as a, as a, as a what were you, so what did you do back then as a, as a, that's the old industry. Let's talk about the old industry. Yeah, yeah. Reps and stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah, the old, the old college music journal, college reps. So, I uh, I went to school at Western Michigan University um, okay. in Kalam- Kalamazoo, Michigan. And like I said, I've always been into music. I played saxophone for a lot of years. Um, I was always the one that was like making mixtapes uh, on the dual cassette decks, recording off the radio and putting stuff together for people. And when I got to Western my freshman year, I met a dude named Ray, DJ Tanga Ray. Shout out to DJ Tanga Ray in, in Detroit. And he had some Gemini turntables in his dorm room. And I'd never seen that before. Like I've seen them, but I had never like known anybody that had them. And uh, so I was like, yo, I got I got to check this out. And he was like, my man, he's like, come on through, like, you know, hang out, check it out. You want to learn? I'll teach you. And he was so giving as a DJ and somebody who just was like, it don't matter who you are, what you look like, color, creed, nothing at all. If you are into music and you want to learn uh, about something about music, he's like, I'm, I'm here to teach. And so uh, that was a blessing for me because he, he really got me into DJing, which then, of course, that 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 summer after my freshman year, I bought. I had my mom's JVC turntable. I bought a Gemini belt drive. I bought the little Gemini $100 mixer. I thought I was doing something. And, and then by my sophomore year, um, I had put a lot of hours in and I was really getting into it. Now, this is the time again for these old heads like us. Like you're talking about Invisible Scratch Pickles and the X-Men and the DMC DJ battles. Like this was the turntablist movement right. when I really got into it. And so that was what it was about was it was about scratching and cutting and beat juggling and making mixtapes and doing remixes live. And so I learned, I, you know, I still have my 1210s in my room right now uh, that I've had for years, for decades at this point. But um, but I, I got into it and then I got into college radio. And when I get, when got into college radio at 89.1 WIDR in, in uh, at Western Michigan, that's really what opened the doors. We started the urban department and then we started to reach out. And that's when the college rep days work like this. They'd be like, do you want to go to concerts for free and interview your favorite rappers? Well, the answer is yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but when you talk to them, like everybody wanted to be a college rep, of course, like who wouldn't want to do that? If you were into hip hop, you had to know your music. You had to have this under to your point. You had to be educated in understanding of who these musicians were, where they came from. What were the different genres across the country at that time? What were the different labels that came about? They wanted to make sure that if they were going to put you in an interview with somebody um, that you were able to speak about music and ask real relevant questions. And so we did that for Rough House. We did that for Def Jam. Um, and then we did it for Double XL because some of our, our, our interviews and our articles and some of our reporting for college music at the time, Double uh, XL reached out and, and they, uh, they sponsored us for a while. And I'll never forget the day the UPS guy wanted to kill us because he dropped off 2000 uh, magazines to our apartment <laughs> through mm. like UPS for a, for a big bash. But that was it, man. Like, like it was, those were the days where the college radio station, the college music journal is what would pop off your independent artists. Like all the yeah. artists that you're out there promoting, talking about, like right. that was the way that you got your music out there. Yeah. You get picked up in playlists and then you go to major radio. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I still think college radio plays a role today. Yeah, because, oh, absolutely. Because 
you know, I have a list. I have a list of radio, and I'm about to be up on my list here pretty soon. Like, there's a particular list I want to get. I want to add to my my thing. But, but dealing with independent artists, right? So radio, terrestrial radios is too expensive. You just mm-hmm. can't afford it. It's, yep, it's just too expensive, right? So, um, then me working with independent artists, working with you're gonna be working in the online digital space, right? So because mm-hmm. for me. The radio interview matter. The, the radio only matters because of the interview to me. Mm-hmm. Because just playing your record, okay, we played it. Draw the spin chart, whatever, we played it. But the interview is how people get to know you. Now, I know you ask certain people, they would say, okay, well, they interviewed you, but you don't necessarily know who is listening. Can't, in today's world, you can't pinpoint them back like you could with an ad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I still think radio, I, I still think I still think college radio matter. I still think I still think college radio can still play a role. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because they're much older, they're open to indie artists, and, and they're open yeah. to, especially if those stations are backed with Sound Exchange and with yep. different things like that that allow artists to generate revenue. So mm-hmm. that's why I, that's why I think it's still viable. Yeah, no, and, and like, look at the end of the day, we know how important like PR training is and media training is. Right. And, 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 and most, most independent artists can't afford it and, and they're not down that path. So like college radio plays a role, not only in the space of playing your music, but it gives you a chance to get out there and do interviews and make the silly mistakes and not be prepared and then have a better understanding of, of how you need to tell your story and your narrative to connect with, with, with whoever's listening. But what, what, what I love about what you share on social media, I, I was watching a video not too long ago, but you were talking about like the independent artists and the connection to the audience, like yeah. accessibility. That is yes. such, that, that's the value proposition of an independent artist. You actually have the time right. to talk to your fans exactly. and engage with them. Oh my and God. that's what builds loyalty. That's the thing that, oh, that, that builds your audience. You know, it's funny you say that because my man Theo Lodge, Shout to Theo Lodge, man. It's a great friend of mine, great independent artist I work with. We just did the Deland. He just played the Deland, Lala, Deland of Palooza, whatever, Deland, Florida, yeah. uh, which is about an hour or plus here from Orlando, right? And so one of the venues he played with this thing called a Blind Pig. It was a small mm-hmm. little hole-in-the-wall bar. And you know why he played it? Because he said, look, this is where I started. And these little bars, believe it or not, <laughs> is where you build your loyal supporters. Yeah. I don't care if there's five people in the room. I don't care if there's eight people in the room. These are the people that you that can touch you. They can mm-hmm. feel you. You're human to them. You know, everybody wants the big stage, the big, and there's nothing wrong with wanting the big stage. You're scaling up to that. But for most indie artists, the reason why they're going to be able to sustain their careers is because they have loyal supporters meaning that supporters spend money there's a difference between fans and supporters fans like your music supporters spend money get support by going to these small towns that nobody wants to go to and doing these playing these bars and clubs that nobody thinks they want to go to those people want to be entertained too and those promoters, when they have the budget to bring in a Rick Ross, to bring in somebody that's a huge act, but they can bring in an indie act because they have the budget to afford that and build your audience that way. So I think, man, there's something to be said for these smaller towns and to see the way they react to Theo 
That's why I said, you know, and I said, I said, look, don't sleep on these little small ass bars. Mm-hmm. They will, they make a difference in the long run because they people can touch you. They can touch. They can. You're human to them. They want to know more about you. They want to get connected to you, right? So. Yeah, no, it, I'll give you I'll give you a, a real story about exactly how that that loyalty matters so much. So when I was in Western Michigan, we had a club called Club Soda and we would do these Tuesday nights called Club 340. And the, and the club's not open anymore there, but that was a hip hop night. And, okay. and that, that's where I cut my teeth as a nightclub DJ. And I was I wasn't even 21. Okay. But the owner was like, yo, you can DJ, but you can't drink. You get me in trouble. Right. OK. Uh, <laughs> so so he he we brought us in everything like that. Well, he gives he gives me a call on a Monday and he's like, yo, because I, I need I need to tell you something you can't tell nobody. And I was like, well, OK, sure. Like, what's going on? He goes, would you be interested in inviting 200 to 250 people? Because the club could only fit like 300 people. He's like two to 250 people on Wednesday night. Would you be interested in like like calling people and inviting them to see run DMC? This was in like 98, 99 when they were doing their major tour. Right. Right. And they were in between Detroit and Chicago. And I was like, get out of here, man. You're pulling my leg. You're full of crap. His name was Jeff at the time. And I was like, hey, no way. He's like, no, for real. He goes, the manager just called me. Because when they were run DMC and they first started, nobody was booking Urban Acts. And I booked them. And like in the late 80s, I booked them to do a show at Club Soda. And they, they were so happy because it was a midpoint between Detroit and Chicago that they said, if we ever get a chance to come back to pay it back, we will do it. It was 20 something years later mm. and they came out and they said, we cannot advertise this show because we're doing our stadium tour. They were doing like the, the, like my Adidas tour or whatever. Yeah. And sure enough, run DMC came and played their entire two hour stadium set for 200 people because, in club soda. You booked that. And I booked it with them and I could only tell people verbally, we couldn't do flyers. Right. We couldn't because they didn't want nobody to know. Because yeah. they were in between towns, but it was simply because they said it was because when we were a nobody and we were out there trying to get gigs and you booked us in your small little club, we wanted to pay that back as a thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I just share a story because you're so right that like it's like the whole industry is relationships. Absolutely. And especially as an independent artist. And for those for those independent artists that really understand how you make a living doing music versus the dream of I want to be on the big stage to your yeah. point. And there's nothing like, wrong being on the big stage, you know. No, if I, like, let me let's let's make sure we, we point that out because right yeah. now the artist that I work with, Xavier Keys, that I manage, we're doing anything for a while. He now is with a management company. Shout out to uh, Ashish and Ujla, Boomcaster Media Entertainment, and they play the big game. Yeah, they want to be, they want to build big artists, big stages, big arenas. That's yep. the game that they play, and they believe that he can do that. So I'm exactly. not saying that you shouldn't want to be that. That yeah. being said. With the label, they have a team and all, a lot of moving parts come into that. But, but most independent artists aren't going to have the ability to scale. Correct. Exactly. So this That's is what I'm why saying, we're but... talking from this perspective. Right. right. And, and, and how did he get there? You see what I'm saying? Right. Check check it all the boxes of Absolutely. building that. We've, right. We've done the small bars. We've right. Been to several countries. And we, and yeah. So I feel you. Go ahead. <laughs> so I just want to put that out there. I don't yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, like, 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 people to be on the big stages. It's just for most people, it's just highly, highly unlikely. I was talking to one of my artists today, and she was saying, Well, Darrell, you know, I want to book shows. And I asked, Well, you need an EPK. I said, Well, like, I don't have, I need, I told her, Well, you need to have a film, somebody film your show. I said, Well, it's like, but a videographer costs 400 bucks. I said, Well, yeah, it's expensive. I said, I know it's expensive, though. Look, there's no way, there's no way around this thing not being expensive. 
Mm-hmm. And if you're a woman mm-hmm. doing music, it's double yeah. expensive. Yep. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry to say it's just the way it is. Yep. If you want to do this. So I told her, but I said you, today's in today, we'll get back to what we did before, but I just want to. In today's world, you have to have somebody filming you. You have to have you literally. That has to be someone on your team. They literally have to be following. Just the way we live, the way it is now. You have to have somebody constantly with the camera on. You know, uh, we had this. Uh, my, one of my assistants that's working with us. She does. She's doing B roll for us. When Xavier was in town right now doing some stuff, and she literally has the phone on, the filming with him, everything, all B roll stuff. And I mean, because you need the content, even if you don't use it all the same day. You need the content, and that's the world we live in now. So, because it's a visual space. Anyway, just want to yep. put that out there. But yeah, no, no, I'm with you. But I see, and that's what I think is like. I think if you want the leverage, and if you want creative control, which is kind of what you're talking about, mm-hmm. you have to show up on the big stage with the leverage that you have gained in your own audience equity over time. Right. Because otherwise, if you're just the sign on the dotted line, and we're gonna make you a star, well, then we're gonna make all the money. We're going to tell you what to do. We're going to write your own music. We're going to work yeah. with your producer. Like you're going to lose all of that capability to be the artist that you are. And I think that if you go the independent route and check those boxes, I think creatively, you now have, you've had to do a music video on a budget. You had to get B-roll on a budget. You had to do the small shows with the small audiences. You've had to learn how to build the skills that allow you to then be successful. So when you get to the big stage, it's on your terms and you, you've trained yourself over time to be able to show up in that space and to really exponentially make your career explode. Oh my gosh. Love you, man. You, you're so right, man. And I just think that creatives have to understand, you know, there's a process to this. There's no, I always share with people, um, this is a long play. Everything we're doing here is a long play. And it is very expensive. You know, shout out to, shout out to Wendy Day Rap Coalition. She, you know, uh, I know you did some stuff with Eminem, yeah. so you know, or Wendy Day, or you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she she says she can, she won't even work with you if you don't have 150 grand liquid. liquid. Exactly. She said, I, she said I can't yeah. do it for that. I've tried. He said I can't for the level you want to get to. I can't do it for less than that. Mm-hmm. So that's 150 thousand dollars of music money. Yeah. Not I got to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. I got to do all these other things I got to do. That's money that can only needs to be put in escrow somewhere else to the side that yep. we can just tap into when it's time to build promo tour and do all the things we have to do. And, lot, and most independent artists don't have type of money laying around to, to right. do that. So, so if you're gonna if you can't do it that way, the other the only other way is to just grind it out slower. It's just gonna yep. take longer. Yep. You know. Yep. Yeah. And, and even with Wendy, it's still gonna take a couple years or a year or two. But but when you don't have the type of money, it's just going to take longer. So this is just, there's no way around the money aspect. There's yeah. no way around it. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but I think it's, it's, you know, what, you, what you've talked about as far as like ha- having a, you know, a highly engaged, small, you yes. know, uh, you know, a following. At the core, right. The at, core at the core, like that. that. Yeah. yeah they, Cause they will buy every t-shirt. Yeah. Right. They'll, they'll they'll stream your songs. They'll pay for this. They'll pay for that. Like like those things matter so much when you're looking to go scale. And that's that's what I say. It's like if, if you I always tell artists this when I work with them in studios, are you making a are you making a mixtape for your car or are you making an album as an artist? Because those are two very, very different things. 
what I'm saying? If you want to make a mixtape for the car, cool. Pay me my cut. If I'm the producer, if I'm going to record, yeah. if I'm going to engineer it, you pay me my cut. If it sounds good to you, it sounds great to me. Have a good life. Right. Right. If you're talking about trying to build what you're talking about, which was a long time, I was like, let me get this right. You want to do you like you want to do music for your life, right? Like right. you are trying to do this as your career, right. correct? Well, then that how long do you want to live? Like right. we're building, <laughs> we're building a strategy for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? right. right. That's a very different approach yeah. to your branding, your marketing, your quality, your engagement, like everything matters everything at that matters, point. But only if you're that serious. Everything you know? matters. And so, you know. This is again going back to education. This why stuff is so important because I think because of the barriers to entry being so low, yep. Anybody thinks they can make records for a living now. Yeah, it's just, it's just a, without understanding this shit is hard, <laughs> really hard. Yeah, and when you see all the moving pieces together, just with us working with the label that we're working we're working with, and to see the game that Ashish and Ujil play. And all the because they now they're based here in, in, in Florida now, full time in the States. But they have a whole team in India working. Mm-hmm. They have yeah, a whole yeah. team in India working. And they keep the well, cool thing my dad is because it's a nine and a half, nine and a half hour time difference. When they're awake, we're sleeping. When we're sleeping, they're awake. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So so it's almost he has the people kind of working around the clock from people in India to LA to everywhere. But Again, there's so many moving parts to this when you're trying to go big in this game mm-hmm. that most people don't have access to or resources to, and a record company is not coming to save you. You know no. what I mean? And so no. I think that's where understanding who your what your who your audience is, understand what your messaging is about. Why are you, why do you do what you do? You know, mm-hmm. why are you making records? What problems are you solving? For your audience now, it does not mean that because that you should do everything solo. I think music is very much of a collaborative process, mm-hmm. you know, especially big records. Nobody does big records on their own. Everything is a okay. collaborative thing. Don't think for one second that Drake doesn't have twelve people making <laughs> sure that record is record. Before we leave this, this record is going to be a smash. It's it's going to go through the assembly line. They're going to check all the boxes for you know. You know what I mean? So yep. when you when you get at that, when you get at that level, you can afford to do that, but. But music is definitely a team sport, you know, definitely expensive, but it's rewarding when you can do things on your terms. I think that's what, I think that's the most most beautiful thing about music, doing music in today's world and today's ecosystem or marketplace is being able to do things on your terms and how you define success. Yeah, and I think absolutely. when you when you can define success and what success for you, that matters because not everybody record companies are in business to export commercial music. Yeah, but what about people who don't really make commercial commercial music? They're the major record labels prodding out for you because yeah. they really only want to deal with commercial music, viable, viable commercial music. It's just the business model that they're in. You know what I mean? Yep. So if you're somebody who doesn't do commercially driven music. Then a major record company, keep that's the key point there. Major record company. Maybe there's gonna be a small indie that maybe has a niche yep. that focuses on what you do. But for a major company, major record labels, they're in the business of exporting commercially viable music. You know what I mean? Yep. So yeah, and, and they'll they'll be quick because they're a for-profit company. For them, um, if if you if you get shelved, if they sign you to a deal and you're and you're not popping and they shelve you. They just write you off, but you yeah. ain't got no career because you're on contract. Exactly. 
exactly. the amount of artists that I know that have suffered four, five, six, seven years of their best creative talent because they are locked into a label deal because they decided to take a $150,000 advance yeah. and they couldn't sell more than $100,000 worth of records. Yeah. Like they, they, they still owe 50 grand and they can't do anything else yeah. until they pay that money back. Yeah. And, and it, music, it, it, it kills me. And the music business is well, we're such an antiquated business model and it sucks that it works. Mm-hmm. The, the business model needs to change. Yep. Nobody foresaw the internet coming and doing what it did, but yeah. we're still operating on we're coming out of that a little bit, but we're still kind of operating on an antiquated business model that was never yep. designed for the artists to really make money anyway. We never designed right, no, no, right, right. Yeah, the, 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 rec, the, the, the record lay, the record industry is the currency is ego, and that's what they stroke. Yeah. And they and they yeah. want you to feel good, but they take all your money while they do it. Exactly. So it. you know, <laughs> right. So because Again, oh yeah, Rihanna's a billionaire, but she's a billionaire because she used her music, her brand for music to, yep, to, to, to go into fashion and everything Kanye, else. You know what I mean? Yep. So that's kind of what you have to do. Be at that level, you got to take what they build you from music, take that in another, a whole other industry, and leverage that. But if, yep. again, not everybody's gonna have the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's Jay Z, Tanya, and Rihanna. So you're talking about the elite of the elite. Talk about the Hall of Famers in this game. Right. You're, if you were to equate it to sports, you know, you yep. have you have you have all star players and you have Hall of Fame players. Right. And in this game, when you talk about Hall of Fame people who had had to have had, who've had to do that, who mm-hmm. had to take that the level that they built in music industry, in the music career, and have to go someplace completely different. You know, Justin mm-hmm. Simpson kind of did the same thing, too. In the pop. Oh, yeah. Where yep. she. Kind of, you know, she went to the fashion world and and, and they made money that way, you know, yep. to, you know, and, and kind of people kind of forgot about her on the music side for 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 a lot of years there, you know. Yep. I totally understand where you come from, and so, uh, let's say you're a producer, man. When did production? When did you start loving production and, and get into that world? Yeah, it was probably after a, I would say a couple of years of DJing. So it would have probably been like in 90, 98, 99 is when um, then, then as a DJ started hanging out with musicians and rappers and stuff, you run across people that had NPC 2000s at the time and were making beats. And then we were trying to always find stuff and create instrumentals to like scratch over and do things like that. Uh, and then I found another friend that had like a small studio um, in, in Kalamazoo and he had a you know, he had some gear and was showing me and teaching me how to produce music. Um, and, and then I ended up getting a, 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 an MPC, a Cork Triton, and really just self-taught, just, just listening, taking samples with my sampler and building out beats. And just, I think, having always had music around me. And like I said earlier, that, that eclectic music that I grew up on, it really helped me to shape a sound. Like, I, I, I wouldn't tell you, like, I could, I could read music, but I, I couldn't, like, read it and produce it. So for me, it was like, does this sound good with that? And so it was just a lot, again, a lot of hours of just playing with stuff. Um, and it got me into doing all kinds of different type of production work. And I did a lot of work for a lot of independent artists. I ended up doing some work for television and especially when I was in LA for five years. Yeah, I was going to get into that. TV. So yeah, you had, a lot, you had some placements with HBO, Comedy yeah. Central, yep. you know, stuff like that, man. Yeah, so that was, that's pretty cool. But, you know, kind of tell me about that process, kind of how, how did, and kind of the process of how that all happened for you. Yeah. So, so again, relationships network, right? So when I was in, when I was in college, I had a friend of mine named Skyler, uh, and he was doing a community access television show and he wanted there to be a, like a DJ to play music while it was like his comedy sketch show at the time. 
And, uh, and so I was like, yeah, sure. So I, I show up at, you know, two o'clock in the morning and mm-hmm. we filmed this, this comedy show. And he was always appreciative because I was the, the nightclub DJ, the radio DJ, and we became good friends. Well, Skylar ended up moving out to LA, ended up getting a TV show called Con on Comedy Central. Uh, to this day, Skylar Stone is his name. You can look him up, his IMDb. He's in all types of movies. He was the latest voice of uh, the, 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 the leopard in like, um, or not the leopard, but the saber-toothed tiger in, uh, in, in Ice Age. Like he's, yeah. he's a new voice of the saber-toothed tiger now. Like Skylar's out in LA doing things. And so when he got the show with Khan, you know, networking, he called me, goes, yo, I need music. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, I, I produce it. And so, uh, so we got together and I made a bunch of music and ended up working uh, with some of the placement people that worked on his show on Comedy Central, did some other music for him and different things. And that led to one thing into another where like, you know, and again, I know the game has changed completely now because we're talking, this was in like in the early to mid 2000s okay. uh, where, where your placements were just simply a network. Like somebody would call you, you drop off a, a CD full of all your beats or your music yeah. and they would pick what they want to use. They use it. And as long as you had your publisher right. Then you got your publishing right, and uh, and so that's what I got to do. So that was just a cool thing. But a lot of that was access in in LA. Yeah, and all I mean, this, this whole thing is relationship, and this whole thing is it's who you know. But like you said, you know, I mean, having your business right, you know, the publishing right, making sure you're that's so key, man. And because yeah. so many artists come into the game and want to get into publishing and want to get into things like that. But their business is not right, and they don't have their nope. shit set up properly. And what happens is these supervisors don't want to deal with you, so they don't right. want to get sued. So, no, exactly, you know, exactly. And nowadays, we're in an era of metadata. So yep. if your metadata is not right and your stuff isn't right, and you don't have your publishing set up, and you can't essentially almost guarantee that they're not going to get sued. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to deal with because the truth is today, they they rather deal with the indie, somebody who the one or they call one stop where everything yep. you control everything. You control the publishing, you control the master, you control everything. So and it's cheaper because they don't have a huge budget. The budget's to to clear a big song. So they rather have something that sounds like a big song, but yep. it's done with an indie artist, indie producer, uh that they can pay less money to, but still get the same feel of what they're looking for, for the project. So, yeah. yeah. But, but, and I think it's like, look, I, I, when I talk to a bunch of independent artists and again, it's so important around who you have in your circle and, and, and are you, are you learning from people that are helping you to, to set all that stuff up? Because, you know, when, when you're a musician or an independent artist or a creator like that, you should spend most of your time creating and writing and you know what I'm saying? Like, like you, right. the more time that you're away from that art, um, the harder it is to, to pull in the inspiration to get it done. But, but that means if you know that, if you know that you don't know it, if, if somebody says to you something like, yeah, what about your publishing, your ASCAP, your BMI, your CSAC, whatever, like whatever you want to call it, like anything like that. And you're like, I don't even know what that is. Um, yeah. That's a problem, yeah. right? Because that, that's, that's your money. That's your ownership. That's your publishing. So like, if you don't know that you need to find somebody. And like I said, I appreciate your approach to social because you give gems and you yeah. give dimes away for free yeah. as a means of giving back to the community. Right. And, and that's why I think people, people need people like you in their life to say, let me help you get this right. Yeah. Because you just work on you, right? Yeah. Right. You do what you do, but you got to get these things right. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I think, and I, and I also think too, you know, there are, there are 
there are people who just want to create. But I also think there's something to be said about knowing your business. But still, this is why it's important mm-hmm. to have systems. This is, why, this is why it's important to have systems in place too that frees up your time so that you could still build your audience, have your content out, batch your content out, do stuff like that. So the stuff's already done, come out in real time while you're out there doing other stuff and you're still being present where you need to be present at. So, and I totally, totally agree yep. with everything you just said, man. Um, so I want quick, you know, I want to quickly talk about your, your podcast uh, called The Life of Lozone, all right? That's the name of the pod. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So you have a top one hundred podcast. Yeah. So, so life, the Life of Lozo podcast is the one that got me back into podcasting and radio, and and I wanted to get back in it. And that was like everything from talking to my friends, like just like this. Like this is a great example of what like a Life of Lozo podcast would be. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I would, I would would talk with somebody who does something, whether it's independent music or a small business owner or whatever, and we would just chop it up. Um, And then that turned into me talking about leadership. Because okay. a lot of people have known me to be a leader across the country. And so we uh, we spun that off. And it's the Hacking Your Leadership podcast. And that one has really exploded. Um, yeah, I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, that was we had just got started back then. Like we had yeah. just gotten into it back then. And and now, now, you know, we're we're on Spreaker, which is owned by iHeartRadio, and we do we do, we know we, we had a good deal with them. That makes a lot of sense for the show. We're, we're 3 million downloads now. Like there's a lot going on, awesome. um, but it was one of those situations. Like, again, like as a creative person myself, I wanted to do the podcast where I talk like hood rat stuff with my friends. And we talk about nineties hip hop and, and was Illmatic better than Southern playlist and Cadillac funky music or better than right. like 2001. You know, I want to right. talk about all that. And then people were like, but you should talk about leadership because you do that. And so I did. And then, of course, that's the one that popped off. Yeah. So, so, but, and that's what you got to do as a creator sometimes. Like, all right, well, if this is what the people want, yeah, then, then let me double want. down into what the people want. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Absolutely. and that, and that walks it down that path. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Three million downloads. Well, you know, my pod is still relatively new. <laughs> so, you know, man, shout out to God What You Need Podcast Network. That's the, I love know, it. That house, my podcast. Um, and then, you know, I'm just having a good time, man. You yeah. know what? I have no sort of, you know, it's not, it's not a money-making thing for me right now with this pod. I'm just having a good time. Yeah, yeah. we're going to make some money. You know, the podcast will be talking about tough things we can do to bring some money in. But for right now, I'm just having a good time as an extension of my brand to have great conversation. Yeah. You know? That was, hey, like, I tell people all the time, our, our, day, our day one downloads was 12. <laughs> You know, so we had 12 downloads on day number one, right? So, yeah. like, again, to your point, we just kept going yeah. and we kept going and we were consistent and we were consistent and we we did the independent hustle and we went out there and we posted on social media and we joined the groups and we engaged with our followers and our fans and they would yeah. send us questions that we would answer. Like, exactly what you talk about right. in the music space right. is what we did in the podcasting space so that when we went with Spreaker, we were already a million downloads in as an independent and the only independent in the space at all awesome. and they couldn't believe it so now we had the leverage to say well this is what we want to do right. and we want to own our content and we want to have our own schedule and yeah. we want to pick and decide any ad that we're going to do an ad read for we get to clear it and so like we 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 had the, we had the, the leverage in the negotiation yeah. and it worked out great That's but that, right. that was after four years of doing it oh yeah well, yeah so you know you know full time like everything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like everything man uh yeah. before we get out of here your graphic novel, yeah. Uh, 
crime that uh-huh. you said 450% funded. So I'm assuming um, yeah. that you've been able to raise a lot of money to make this thing happen. Yeah, man. It, uh, it's, I have, this is, we, we, we made some little promo uh, mags of it just to give away for free for some of the cons that we had here. Okay. Um, but it's a hip hop detective novel. And what I will share with you is um, it, it, like, imagine this, imagine if you, uh, the song Regulators, Warren okay. G and Nate Dogg, right? Okay. People know that song so well, okay. but, but it's a drive-by shooting. People yeah. don't realize it, right? <laughs> 16 in the clip and one in the hole, Nate Dogg is about to make some bodies turn cold. Yeah. Now the yelling and the screaming, it's a tad bit late. Nate Dogg and Warren G had to regulate, right? Right, right. So what happens if a detective rolls up on that scene and is trying to figure out what's going on? Okay, right? okay. And so that was the initial idea was what about all these hip hop songs that are based on crime scenes? So yeah. So I put it all together. I created a story. I created characters. I, I referenced a lot of hip hop songs. I, I borrowed a lot of lyrics to make dialogue. Yeah. Uh, but just think about a children's story by Slick Rick. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you know it, it's a it, it's a there's so many different cool things. So anyway, I have a whole world built around crime, but that's why it's spelled that way. C rhyme. Uh, because it's all about, you know, hip hop crime stories in, in the songs and what happens if a detective ran across these crime scenes and tried to put them all together. So uh, Ooh, that is an amazing concept. You know, Irv Gotti has kind of done something similar to that with Tales, mm-hmm. you know, the whole TV where he kind of taking yep. different lyrics uh-huh. and kind of creating a storyline behind that. You know what I'm talking yep. about? So it's yeah, kind of yeah, something yeah. different, but you kind of do it. I like that. So, you know, yeah. not, it's not a necessarily new concept, but it's cool in, in what you're doing. So that's awesome. Man. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so that, that, that currently out right now. Yeah. So the Kickstarter ended last week. We got fully funded by a lot. Um, right now we're, we're doing the last bits of, of editing. Um, we are, we're putting, uh, you know, all that will be shipped out. But once, once we get the Kickstarter stuff all shipped out, then we're going to go to retail with it. Um, then it'll be public on like crime.com and we'll list all this stuff out there. But right now we're taking care of all of our, all of our backers and all of our supporters. Wonderful, uh, and they, and they showed up, man, people showed up for real, for real. Well, it was it really shows cool. You that people still care about this stuff. You know, yeah. people still care about culture and hip hop and what we, you know, as you get older, it still matters. And you know, yep. this stuff, cause you gotta realize too, hip hop and the great thing is still a relatively young genre. You know, exactly. if you think yeah. about it, you know, 50 years, you know, yeah, um, no, it's it's it, it's not even a, for full 50 yet, 73. So we're not even a full 50, you exactly. know, we're still, not even, we're still not even 50 years of the genre being quote unquote official yet. So, right. think about all the other genres of music, hip hop is still a young genre. It's it's, young, it, it's it's uh, typically they always say like 20 years is kind of a classic, right? An element, right? And if right. you look at all the rest of music. I would say 77 is when hip hop really kind of popped off. We started to actually see records pressed as like rapping records. Right. Right. So you go 77 to 97, then 97 to 2017. And and I said, so what I think happens now is, is you have that initial first 20 years, which is like at its core, the, 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 the element of hip hop and it was very regional. Then after 97 is when you started to see the region start to blend. And now you didn't know if an artist that used to be from New York before, they, they might be from Virginia right. or, you know, like, like you're all kind of confused. Now we're in that element to what you're talking about, where now it's starting to peel off again and you're starting to build out these factions 
of here's that core boom bap. Then here's that, like, you, you have all these yeah. different elements of oh, man. styles and, of hip hop. And Lozo is interesting because you think about guys like the Griselda, Kyle, yeah. Streetwood. That's that's a thing. Like, that, like, there used to be a time where you're like, yo, that doesn't have to be commercially viable. But as we right. see, there's people that love that. The street, of my course. man, Eda Mad Assassin, uh, shout out to him out in LA. Uh, but, you know, I always said that the street bars, the real street lyrics, yeah. street bars, boom bap is becoming something that is viable that people want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even going, you know, obviously, with, with Slaughterhouse and everything. But I mean, we're going like, it's just, it's just interesting how it was a time 10, 12 years ago. You're like, nah, that ain't, this ain't even viable. Like, but now it's like it's really viable thing. You know, it's a really there's there is a scene for it. There is a hunger for that type of hip hop. Well, and, and I think be, and I think it's because of streaming. Because you think about this, like dudes like me, I'm not going to a record store to go buy the the CD. Right. Right. Okay. But I but when it drops on my phone, I'll listen yeah. to it right now. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so like that, that I think that's one of the things that streaming unlocked for us was easy access to our favorite songs and the playlists that we build and libraries of music. And now it's recommending the new artists that sound like the artists that we listen to over time. So like, so now, now you have this access again to music immediately um, in such a way that you can, you can compare it to what you're already liking and what you, what you're already interested in. Because that that's, you know, I, I think that was the inevitable that was going to happen from an internet standpoint, but it needed to happen. It, it desperately needed to happen. Right, man. Man, that's so great, man. Whoa, this has been a great, great episode, man. Where can the people find you? How can they connect with you? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Instagram, life underscore of underscore lows on Instagram, um, or crime, C-R-H-Y-M-E dot com. Uh, or, you know, crime underscore novel on Instagram um, or lifeoflozo.com. Like those are my, those are my hot spots. Check it out. Follow me, check things out. Like I said, I'm, I'm with you. I like to engage. I like to answer questions. Yeah. I like to provide advice. I like to connect people. Absolutely. That's really my thing is if somebody's like, yo, I'm, I, I'm a new up and upcoming artist. I'm looking for some help. I'm like, yo, I got somebody that can help you, <laughs> right. but, but you better have your money. Right. Because yeah, yeah, real you help be, is not look, free. Man, I, you know I, tell people, I tell people all the time. I give away so much information for free. And anybody yep. who talks to me, anybody who wants to talk to me, I give a free consultation. Anybody. I don't even charge yep. initially for my consultation. And people are like people, people, the people that actually do charge for initial consultation. The people I don't charge is because I'm interviewing you to see if there's right. somebody who I potentially want to work with. But after that initial it. conversation, that consultation, you're going to want to work with me. I'm very confident in that. Based off yeah. my knowledge and expertise in my relationship. So, you know, come correct, understand, because what, what artists don't understand, players don't understand, you're not necessarily paying me for the knowledge. What you're paying mm -hmm. people for is for the experiences, the ability for them to explain and help you navigate through things, and even more importantly, the network that they have. They can make That's a it. phone call or send an email out to get somebody to pay attention to you, where mm -hmm. We're not saying that they wouldn't have been other, in any other way, but because of the relationship I have with them, you know, they're going to say, okay, if this person, if you're recommending this person, let me take a listen or let me check yeah. the, you know, so that's really what it comes down to. And this business is transactional. You know, when you, if you want to have the best way to build relationships sometimes is to pay people. 
You know, don't, you know, value their time. Even if they don't ask you, even if you don't ask you, uh, even if they don't ask you for money, uh, it's more about, hey, thank you for your time. So here's, here, right. go buy dinner on me tomorrow. Go buy lunch on me. Yep. You know what I mean? So, yep. yeah, yeah. That whole deal. Yep. So, so yes, that's why yep. it's important, man. But man, thank you so much for being for being here today, being my guest today. Guys, this has been another episode of the Encouraged by our podcast. And it's your host, Darrell Peart. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace.